All right, here we are, back after somewhat of a hiatus. Back, toilet back, paper word of the day. Um, Kevin, since it's your idea, tell us what we're doing. We're going to record a podcast. Well, fuck me sideways. I had no idea. Uh, as you said, this is a topic that I threw out there. I thought it'd be fun for us to do. We're doing the top, our personal top three films that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, these are movies that when you're talking to people who claim to be film people, they still haven't seen them or heard of them. Uh Essentially, these are, you know, I know all of mine are, are, you know, $5 bin at Walmart movies. Mm -hmm. You know, you go through and, you know, they're they're just just that. You know, they didn't get big theatrical releases, but they're just golden gems that have fell through and, you know, that hold up really well, especially compared to some of the crap that does make it through. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um. Yeah, it's like you, you you call it like unknown movies, and it's it's interesting that like depending on your age, it even can be a movie as big as like The Matrix or the original Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, which those aren't on this list, but like some of the younger people don't have you know have no reference for those movies, yeah. or like Indiana Jones, like have not seen a single one of them, even the horrible movie that I won't say its title. But yeah, so um, what movies are you going with? Um, well, like I, I got four movies. I know it's supposed to be a top three, but I come down to I couldn't decide between the four. Uh, my overall number one is the overall number one of them. The other three are interchangeable. Uh, I'm pretty good. I want to just kind of reveal them as we go. Uh, Danny, what did you? Uh, I went with uh, red. Went with uh, three movies. Number one is my favorite, Red Dawn. I mean, some people have heard of it. Most people hadn't because it was made back in the 80s. And uh, most people either that have heard of it either look down on it or they just dismiss it out of thought because it's just random pop. They just think it's a random popcorn movie. Yeah. The other two were actually foreign films or specifically Soviet one is uh, 1985's Come and See, and uh, the other one is 1979's uh, Stalker, both from Mosk Film. Both what? Mosk Film. Mosk? Yeah. Was it, was studio? M-O-S-C, yeah, Mosk Film. Oh, okay. okay, cool. All right, um, and <laughs> I, I don't have any movies. I've... I'm, I'm like working like 54 hours a week right now and I'm doing good just to be holding myself up at the mic right now. So I'm basically just going to be asking questions and be alone for the ride today. But um, I'm, I'm pushing the buttons while this guy's talk. That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Kevin starts off. All right. I'm going to start at the bottom. Uh, it's a movie starring a post Star Wars pre-Marvel Samuel L. Jackson uh, another guy, his name is Robert Carlin. He's not a very popular actor, but he did such a fantastic job in this movie. And then the incomparable Meatloaf. Oh, there you go. Uh, making some of his fashion decisions again. Uh, I think in this one he wears like a, a muumuu at one point. Uh, but he does a fantastic job. It's uh, Formula 51. 
It's a 2001 movie, uh, rated R. It's directed by Ronnie Yu, who also directed The Bride of Chucky, uh, Freddy vs. Jason, and a movie called Fearless, which I got good reviews on, but I've never seen it myself. Um, the basic plot for this is uh, Samuel L. Jackson is a master chemist, and uh, as soon as he gets... As soon as he graduates from college, he gets busted for drugs, so it kind of kills his whole chemistry career. And he becomes a, uh, he makes drugs and uh, comes up upon a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sell a formula for a drug for a crap ton of money. And uh, obviously things don't go as planned. And uh, I'm wondering, is this a prototype for uh, Breaking Bad? You know, it could have been. I mean, I could definitely see where they could have hmm. seen this and then come up with that. I mean, that, you know, I hadn't thought about it until he said it, but yeah, it definitely could have been. Uh, one of the things that, well, the biggest thing for this whole movie that makes it really good for me is the dialogue. The dialogue throughout the movie is just fantastic. And, uh, like, what makes it so good? Dialogue. <clears throat> it's just. It's a banter. There's always a banter between people going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, there's a scene in there where you know Samuel Jackson's in a elevator with this chick, hit woman who's been tasked to come and get him, and she's holding a gun on him, and they're going down the elevator, and he's like, "Isn't this the way?" You know. A, Blank in a kilt, elevator music, and a bitch with a nickel-plated nine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, the dialogue is just really... Almost really like good. pop noir kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it yeah. is. And uh, like I said, the chemistry between the characters, everybody just plays really well off of everybody else. Uh, another person that stars in it is, uh, and I can't remember his name right now, but he played uh, Marion in the Lord of the Rings series one of the hobbits and mm. uh he placed this you know european punk neo-nazi type character yeah and plays, plays the hell out of it oh yeah he, he plays hell out. It, that, isn't there crazy. a scene in that movie where um samuel jackson creates like some kind of medicine and he gives it somebody and uh don't they like explode or they he weaponizes or something like he <laughs> he makes a very very potent laxative laxative that's what and, that, and okay, the yeah. portion he gives it to is the kid that plays plays married in lord of the rings okay. they just have explosive diarrhea all over themselves and okay it yeah. is it is very i remember you talking about this movie years ago and i guess explosive was the word that stuck in my mind danny you have a very perplexed look on your face i'm trying to remember if i've seen this before they get stuck in a gas station with the explosive diarrhea they're not in a gas station. They're in a uh, a veterinarian lab because he needs a lab to make the drug, and they're like they're wanting him to make this drug, and so he needs a lab. So they break into a veterinarian lab, and he makes it in there, and they're all you know all over the floor and that. Um, the scene you're thinking about, I might be the one out of train spotting. Oh, when yeah. Ewan McGregor goes into the bathroom and the uh, 
just has described the most disgusting bathroom in Europe and uh, has explosive <laughs> diarrhea because he's, you know, on heroin, which is a laxative. Is it Formula 51 or is it 51st State? Uh, 51st State was the original title of the, and it changed to Formula 51. That's what it is. Yeah, because I'm looking at YouTube, like the, the shit scene. Yeah. It's right here, like. Looks like a bowl full of Skittles. <laughs> Sounds like a damn late early 2000s movie. You can't call it that. What is it gonna feel like right tits standing around asking for tabs of 438i or fucking you, whatever the number is? No one's gonna know what they're on about. These scumbags spend their entire life smacked out their heads on numbers. They couldn't even tell you what fucking time it is. <laughs> Alright, Mr. Smug. You done? Think the ship's about to hit the fan. Everybody's grabbing their stomach, going in They didn't go to the Kevin Smith route of having a pure shit monster, right? Okay, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, Samuel Jackson and then uh, the Robert Carlini guy talking there about the the numbers and everything. So, like I said, they just they played incredibly well off of each other. Yeah, this is a movie. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson had just got done doing Star Wars and was going to take a break for a year or two before he did anything else. And they sent him the script to this, and the first description of his character, the Elmo McElroy character, um, literally said, inward in a kilt. And Samuel L. Jackson was like, well, there's nobody else who can play that, that guy but me. Yeah. And so he come and he went ahead and made that movie and then, uh, you know, went on to do all the other stuff that he's I doing. remember that point in his career like he it was like movie after movie mm-hmm. after movie where he was just playing like that well he's kind of like John Wayne he plays Samuel L. Jackson in just about every movie yeah. Yeah. yeah and that was when he really hit his like stride of you know being that pop culture cool guy mm-hmm. um, so what's your uh, what's your number two? Oh well that was number four so we'll go oh. number three uh, number three uh, this is a movie that starred Christian Bale and Sean Bean. Mm. Uh, it's a movie called Equilibrium from 2002, and it was rated R. Uh, it was directed by a guy named Kurt Wimmer. I think he also wrote it. Uh, he was a remake guy for a while. He did uh, the remake for Point Break and Total Recall. 
Uh, neither one of those are you know stellar movies. Um, but he also made a movie called Law Abiding Citizen. Got Jerome Butler and uh, mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx. And if you haven't seen that, that's an amazing film to also see. But Equilibrium, uh, it's set in an oppressive future where all forms of feeling are illegal. And uh, Christian Bell plays a law enforcement person known as a cleric. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ends up rising up and taking on the system and the state to uh, kind of overthrow the whole thing. Um, Wasn't this <clears throat> around the same time you had a whole bunch of Matrix ripoffs come out, like uh, Ultraviolet? Yeah. Same yes. type of it, it was, scenes. And it was, it was uh, just a little bit before he played Batman. And, um, mm-hmm. He was still relatively unknown at this point. Right. Yeah. Uh, this was... Uh, I'm trying to remember one of these guys on this list, and I can't remember which one actually directed Ultraviolet. I don't know if it was Kurt Wimmer or it might have been Ronnie Yu. I think Ultraviolet was directed by the same guy that did Underworld. No, no. that was a different guy. Um, He did I, Frankenstein, the Underworld guy did. I'm going to look it up. Okay. Well, what makes this movie so good? I mean, everything in it is... Good. I mean, the acting solid, the, the story solid, everything. But what really sets this one over the top for me are the fight scenes. Um, they have this whole new. Kurt Warner. Yeah. Same guy that directed this did Ultraviolet. Uh, Kurt Warner. Uh, so he has this whole. It's a like a Japanese martial arts type of fighting system but the, he incorpor- the gun kata yeah he incorporates yeah. the guns into it mm-hmm. and uh he actually invented the whole thing in his backyard before uh getting ready to do the films but it's just the choreographing of the fight scenes is and then you know just this whole idea of the gun kata and everything was just really good to me i thought it was if you've seen the john wick movies especially like the first couple of them the scenes where he's got his pistol and he's going through like doing his fight scenes and he'll like punch and then he'll like throw in a r- occasional like gunshot and then go back to punching and stuff. The gun kata in this movie is like sort of the proto version of what John Wick goes on to do later. Um, and I, I had that movie on DVD and one of the ideas behind the gun kata I remember was like if you do a certain move at a certain time you can dodge where the other person is shooting at you. It's like you're instead of like dodging and deflecting a punch, you're dodging and deflecting bullets. It was a it was a cool concept. Yeah, it's bullshit, but it was a cool yeah, concept. Yeah, yeah. Bullshit, but, yeah. yeah, you're gonna die if you try this. But that, it, that's yeah. another one of those things. It's like you know, fighting with Taekwondo. It works as long as the other guy's following the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is definitely one of the films that got people looking at Christian Bale mm-hmm. for Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got this part based a lot on his uh, part from American Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, early Christian Bale. Sean Bean, um, as par for his career, dies. Right at the fucking beginning. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, pretty pretty close to the beginning. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, Equilibrium, is it's a great film. Uh, it's definitely worth it for nothing, if nothing else, than for the fight scenes. What... Um a subtext of that movie was all about the big pharma. Hmm. Um, they basically run everything. The way that they 
framed the story, I remember, was there was essentially a war. And that war can't happen as long as everybody's just calm and cool and mellow and shit. So they put everybody essentially on antidepressant mood stabilizers. You're not depressed, but you're just not feeling the highs or the lows. You're, you're just level. And so you have to take this pill every day. And what happens is Christian Bale, like, somehow or another, like, he runs out or his pills get taken or mm-hmm. something happens. And he ends up off of for a day. And he starts feeling shit, and he starts liking it, and then he starts questioning the system, and then it just snowballs from there. Um, There's a really, a really good scene in there where he's he's coming off of the meds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not taking hadn't taken them in a day or so, and uh, the windows, all the windows are frosted. You know, everything is just a very bland. You know, and the windows are frosted. And he goes to the window and he starts picking at this layer of frosting that they got on the windows and he starts to peel it off. And as he peels it off, he sees a sunrise for the first time in maybe his life. You mm-hmm. know, you know? And uh, it was in a scene where I'm saying, you know, that the fight scenes are the good part. That scene was a really good scene to see him opening up to starting to feel and appreciate beauty and the there world. was another one probably around that same time he's everybody when they're going to work they start off like subterranean and then you come up these steps and you come up to where the city level is and everybody's walking up the steps and he real suddenly takes everybody's gloves you know so you don't feel anything he takes one glove off and he runs his hand up like the metal rail as he's coming up because he's he's literally feeling it for the first time and He's just very subtly going through, going, oh, shit. Like, there's a whole world outside of this you know, pill we've been all having to take. The real fucked up part in that movie was if you... Um, this is very much like the vaccine mandate that we've been dealing with for the last two years, trying to push this thing. You had to do it. And here, if you wake up, essentially, if you get off the meds and you decide to come off the system, I can't remember the word they used, but basically they put you in an incendiary room they burn you to death yeah i mean yeah the 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 punishment for not taking your medicine is to they kill you yeah yeah and yeah i mean they, they just fry you alive yeah so it was a good movie yeah it was really good danny did you ever see that a lot of those uh, i tend to put those two together like ultraviolet mm-hmm. equilibrium, equilibrium. <laughs> i tend to put them together with uh underworld and uh all around the same Resident time. Resident Evil, because they all came out at the same time. They all just kind of run together to me. Um, Ultraviolet, this movie had very... Except this movie, to me, had like better cinematography. Ultraviolet was more of like the low-grade yeah. you know, kind of yeah. effects. But it was a good movie, too. I, I enjoyed it. It was kind of cool. The, this one, for me, for like from a cinematography standpoint, the cinematography was good enough that you didn't notice it. And which, you know, that's that's what they always say the goal is for mm-hmm. cinematography, not to notice it. And I didn't notice the cinematography, so I felt like it was done fairly well to, to not take away from the story. You know, sometimes they use the cinematography as a, a crutch. A crutch, yeah. yeah. Look, look how pretty it looks and don't pay attention to how bad the story is. Right. Um, what was it? Life of Pi. Uh, Marvel. Um, anyway, yeah. so <laughs> I got shit on it at least once. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. So... All right, so what's it? Wait, so this should be what? Number two? two. Number two for me. Uh, this movie came out in 2000. Uh, it was rated PG 13. Heavy, heavy hitters in the acting department. 
uh, Matthew McConaughey, Bill Paxton, Harvey Keitel, who, on a side note, Harvey Keitel was once the most filmed nude male actor at one point. Harvey Keitel? Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Because if you go back and you look at Harvey Keitel back in like 70s, Harvey was ripped. I've never, I, the earliest I've seen him was like Pulp Fiction and uh, National oh, no, Treasure no, and all that. No. Go back and watch uh, Taxi Driver. I forgot to watch that. I still have not seen it's, that movie. It's a, it's a good movie. But he is ripped. Uh, so, yeah, I actually watched a documentary called Skin the other day. as the history of nudity in film. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they were talking about Harvey Cattell was at one point the mostly most filmed nude person, not in porn. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I'm glad you clarified that because yeah. I was going to ask where you come to that conclusion. Yeah, yeah. 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 My search history says other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another heavy hitter in the acting in this one was uh, one John Bon Jovi played a part in this Whoa. movie. So, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. I think he only did like two movies. Like, did he, he did this one like the second vampire? Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. He, he's very limited on his acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's directed by a guy named uh, Jonathan Mostow. Uh, directed okay. Terminator 3 and Breakdown. Neither. Yeah. I haven't even heard of the second one, but that third movie was horrible. Yeah. Uh, but what was this movie? Uh, this movie was about. What was uh, the title? The title is U571. Okay. It's about an American team who go out in a U-boat, capture a German U-boat, and disguise themselves as Germans in order to steal the uh, Enigma coding machine that they were using to send codes back and forth. For our youth out there, what is a U-boat? A U-boat is a submarine. There you go. Okay. Enigma machine was what? The Enigma machine was a decoding machine. They would send messages in code, and then you would have to have the code to set the machine and then put the numbers in the machine, and then it would tell you what the message was saying. It was yeah. how they were communicating back and forth and kicking everybody's ass early in the That's war. what the Germans had. Yeah, this was the Germans okay. had. Uh, this is... Loosely based on real events from World War II. Very loosely. Very loosely because, in fact, the American team never captured an Enigma machine. Also, Matthew McConaughey was not in World War II. Well, you never know because, I mean, he's been in everything else. Well, that's true. But, but yes, uh, one of the things that made this movie really good for me is great storytelling in a limited space. You know, you're telling a, a good story. In a closet. <laughs> in a closet, basically. Yeah. yeah. You know, you only have so much room to tell. And the buildup of suspense and the payoff of the buildup is throughout. You know, it, it'll ramp you up and then pay off really quick, but it does it all the way through. So it's like a really roller coaster type of, yeah. of a film. Which a good movie should be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, definitely one of Matthew McConaughey's lesser known movies. This one was early, because it was like early 2000s, right? Uh, it was 2000. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah. He was just getting started at that point. Well, he was just getting out of the rom-coms at that point. Mm. You know, there was like, toward the late 90s was his run Oh, of the okay. I was thinking the 2000s when he started that. Yeah. Uh, but this was when he was starting to come out of the rom-com. You know, I don't know if this was his first one after his sabbatical that mm-hmm. he took, but, you know. Danny, did you ever see this movie? Yeah. 
it vaguely runs together with another similar film uh, that Harrison Ford was in, another submarine movie. Yeah. Uh, Not Hunt for Red October. That was... No, that was... That was Sean Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Um, God, I don't know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it right now. War, War Games? War Games is the... Or um, Patriot War Games or... It's one of those movies with that character that he played. No. You're you're taking the uh, Jack. Yeah, that guy. That was Alec Baldwin. Well, he also played the character. Yeah, later. But not on a sub. They only have one on a sub for. I'll look it up. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's like I said, loosely based on real events. Very loosely based. I'm with you. Like you know, the idea of like filming in a sub where you got tight quarters. There's not a lot of eye candy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's pretty drab. Right. I imagine. I haven't seen the movie, but... A lot especially, of gray. Especially for World War Two. Yeah, a lot of gray. Yeah. <laughs> gray and pipes and right. nuts and bolts and... Yeah. So, I mean, you know, unless you're just really into the submarines. Unless um, <laughs> that's a fetish for you. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it... K-19, The Widowmaker. Yeah. That was the Harrison Ford movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. William Neeson. Okay. But yeah, for me, it was the the ability to tell the story in the limited space that they had, and then to they did a very good job of making you care about the characters in there. Um, a lot of that was through McConaughey's character because uh, in the early part of the movie, he is denied the command of his own sub. And the reason that his captain, who is played by Bill Paxton, gives him is that uh, he said, you know, I know that you would give your life for this cause, for everything. You, know, you would do whatever you have to do, even if it killed you. He said, but you have to be willing to spend your men's lives as well. You know, he said, you're very close with all of the men. They all like you. They all respect you. He said, you know, and that's kind of where you know the character arc for him goes in this is you know he ends up having to put everybody in that situation yeah yeah one of the things uh they have a a cia agent with them on this well i don't know if it's cia yeah it would be cia but whatever well i know yeah could be the oss right cia happened right after world war ii that's right yeah (laughs) but anyway same 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 group. group yeah yeah there's one of them with him and uh when they're starting to get into trouble when the you know, things are starting to get kind of hairy where it might go south. He pulls him aside and he says, you know, he tells him, he says, you understand that we cannot be taken alive. If if it looks like we're going to be captured. We got to die here. We all have to die because, you know, we've these guys have seen our radar. They've seen everything we got. Right. You know, and it, it was kind of a moment for McConaughey's character, his, that realization of, you know. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah! Um, you want to do your other alternative, or? Uh, well, those are my my three that are kind of interchangeable. Uh, my one is my number one by far. Uh, heavy, another one with really heavy hitters in the acting. It's got a uh, Daniel Craig, Michael Gambon, and a very very young Tom Hardy playing a very minor role, but he is there throughout the whole thing. Uh, from 2004, it's called Layer Cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
directed by Matthew Vaughn, who did all the Kingsman movies, Kick-Ass, and a movie called Stardust that I have not seen, but seen good reviews He also directed uh, X-Men First Class. Yes. Yes, he did. Um, This movie is about a very successful cocaine dealer. He's kind of the middleman. He gets the bulk and cuts it down and hands Mm -hmm. it off to the lower guys. Uh, It's played by Daniel Craig. Pre-James Bond. Pre- I actually did some research, and this is the film that got him picked for James Bond. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he has decided to retire, and the day before his picked retirement date, uh, he's giving a task by the people above him, and everything just goes to hell from there. You know, um, but this is, I mean, it's a solid movie across the board. Uh, the story's good. The cinematography's good. Mm-hmm. Acting's good. You know, it's an anti-hero movie. You know, you, you there's no good guy to root for. Everybody's a piece of shit. But you know, you just kind of pick the best one out of them. And uh, by far, has one of the best beatdown scenes Man. I've ever seen. This, the uh, he, mm. yeah, they put you like right in the POV of the dude getting his ass whooped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy that does it. The beating down part, I can't remember his name, but he goes on to play uh, in the Harry Potter movies, uh, Shacklebolt. Yeah. Kingsley Shacklebolt yeah. in the Harry Potter movies. And, uh, yeah, he he just beats this guy for everything he's worth and a little more. But uh, Yeah, this was like, um, if I remember, I think I, I bought that movie at random years ago, and I think I ended up giving it to you or something. Probably. Yeah. Uh, you still had it when we were at the that guard shack. Yeah, I think I ended up giving it to you later or something like that. But yeah, it was like a really good look at like what the criminal underworld in British society is like versus like our mob or whatever here. But it's in, in our you know drug kingpins and stuff here. It's a very similar type of like setup, but you know they deal with each other in slightly different ways. And I always mix it up with snatch. It's it's a more polished well, version. Matthew Vaughn produced Snatch. Produced Snatch, and mm-hmm. he also produced another movie that very, very closely to getting on my list tonight was uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, was both of those was really uh, what's his name? He does Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie yeah. does the Sherlock Holmes movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Madonna's ex-wife. <laughs> Ex-something. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell anymore. Yeah, yeah. That that beatdown scene, you know, it's in a, a cafe. And they get in this fucking throwdown, and the guy he's talking about, like he he starts beating this dude into the floor, and the camera goes into the point of view of the guy getting beat, and you're just looking up at this dude just beating the snot out of the camera, and then the audio just starts like getting muffled, and and the music starts getting muffled, and it just they put you right in the seat, you're right there as that guy's getting the hell beat out of him. They're sitting at this, they're sitting at this diner, sitting at the table, and we've all seen. You know, people get hit with beer bottles, whiskey bottles, and things like that. Well, he does the same thing, but with a big ketchup bottle. And yeah. just smacks this guy right across the face with old-style Hunt's ketchup bottle. You know, mm-hmm. those big, thick glass thing. You know, and I, I, yeah, I can't imagine getting hit with a beer bottle, but, I mean, that damn ketchup bottle. That was pretty hefty. Yeah. But that, those are my... My picks for uh, top movies that nobody's ever heard of. And uh, 
you know, outside of us, you know, who we, you know, randomly swap around movies and things like that, you know, not a lot of people have heard of any of those. I mean, you know, when you talk to them about it, they've they've never really heard of And though, like Danny was talking about, he's got, what, two Russian films on your list? You know, three out of these four are from England, Great Britain. Yeah. You know, they're so... You know, Equilibrium is funny because we were talking about on the last episode that we did, we were talking about the Chinese film market. They released Equilibrium overseas first. Made their money. Made a bunch of money and then did a very limited states release because they were afraid it would go into losing money Hmm. in the American market after making the money in the in the Chinese market and everywhere else. Which is still kind of a thing now. Like, uh, you know, back in the day, America was the market where you sold everything. And, you know, the uh, farm market was like just the, the bonus. And now everybody aims for the farm market first. And then we're like the other ones because Americans are more likely to say, fuck it, stay home or Which, bootleg it. Right. Given <clears throat> current global events, that's likely to change. Yeah, talk about that for a second, because it is. Well, the Chinese are basically kicking out just about all American investors. That includes uh, filmmaking companies, just about everything. And, and then Russia has now made it easier to bootleg, right? Yeah, they've completely legalized uh, pirating. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that completely changes the, the landscape. Put it to you this way. They're, Russia is taking... <clears throat> bootleg streams and showing them in theaters and charging money for them. Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah. thought they were just making it easier online. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> All right. Because, I mean, yeah, who's going to say something to them, right? Fuck them. Yeah, I mean, they've made everything else illegal. Right. That's pretty wild. All right. Legend, what do you got? Well, I've got three movies because it's kind of hard to boil everything down to three because I've seen so much obscure stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like this would be a good topic for you. Like, I figured you'd have some good stuff for this. The majority of my films that I've seen that are obscure, y'all haven't seen because, A, Jimbo here hates uh, subtitles. Yeah, hates I can't stand movies. them. Can't, and, and badly dubbed movies, too. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And uh, just the general public hadn't heard of... Uh, outside of unless you're a film connoisseur or whatever that's my toilet paper paper word of the day day. (laughs) you really haven't seen these movies but two of the russian movies are stalk 1979 stalker and 1985's come and see i don't have any particular or particular order for these the interesting thing about those two russian movies is uh it includes a lot of shots Similar to 1917's uh, panoramic, the the oneer is what they the call it. Shot. It's a simulated shot, like it never cuts, but it actually does cut. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. But 1979's Stalker is basically it was based off of a novel called Roadside Picnic. I've talked about it before. That's the thing with Chernobyl, right? Uh, the Chernobyl thing was a, a video game adaptation of that. Oh, okay. It's basically. Roadside Picnic was basically aliens come down. They, it's basically like uh, it treats humanity as like ants, kind of like that Babylon 5 episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, they basically just have a picnic here on Earth, leave their stuff here, just leave their trash here and leave. 
and what ends up happening at the side of the picnic is it causes all kind of freaking gravity distortions all kind of fuzzing the physics are all fucked up in the place it's a good idea actually yeah the freaking wildlife fucked up because of radiation and all that so basically they cordon off the area and you have people going in as stalkers to get these alien artifacts and selling them to the outside it becomes a new black market but the film i can't remember the damn name of the director it was released by moss film it was a soviet in during the soviet era uh i can't remember the name of the freaking director but he got the same two brothers that wrote the novel to do the screenplay and he kept on getting them to rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it so it wouldn't it basically took that and did what uh, X-Men did the original X-Men movie did with the comics they freaking distilled everything down to like I think they describe it as like a meteorite they don't mention aliens at all they, they keep everything vague like the film follows a stalker and he's taking these two uh, people in that have pretty much lost all hope. And they're searching for a place inside the zone that the Russians have cordoned off and uh, the, the room is supposed to give them ultimate happiness or whatever. It, it reveals your secret, your most innermost desire. But the movie isn't so much as you don't watch it for really the plot or anything. It's something not a whole lot of people would like because it is a slow burn. It's more... Like immersive, maybe? Yeah, it's something you watch more for the atmosphere. And it's kind of like... Best way to describe this is uh, it's not post-apocalyptic, but it's kind of a post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic <laughs> playground or whatever because mm-hmm. you've still got a functioning society on the outside. Somewhat is still oppressive or whatever, but the filmmaking techniques used in this movie, like on the outside, and regular Soviet area or whatever is shown in black and white and once they go into the zone it's in pure color because it's supposed to like be almost magical in a way right like say it gives you like your desires and it's a it's that and it's where the protagonist the stalker feels more free he feels like he belongs in the zone i gotcha because of the oppressive outside it's good it's a good technique anytime you use color like that's great um i just put up the director is andre tarkovsky um, he also did Solaris and a couple other movies. The original Solaris? Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen either one, but I, know I remember they made two of them. But it basically follows these three as they slowly traverse the zone. It's, the zone is, like I said before, it, it doesn't tell you in the film that it's got all kind of fucked up gravity effects and physics physics or whatnot Mm -hmm. but you kind of see it because you see they sent a whole bunch of troops in when the zone was first discovered and they never came back so you see the wrecks of freaking soviet tanks weapons 
What kind of stuff happens once they get in the zone? Like, what do they come up against? I guess what I'm asking. Basically nothing. It's more psychological. It's more subtle. Sounds like a almost like an outer limits or a, yeah. What we're thinking it's of more uh, like that. Twilight Zone. Yeah, something like that. Okay, I got you. What they basically do, you've got a straight line. You see, you can see the room. It's only a couple of hundred meters away, mm-hmm. but the physics of the place, a straight line is actually longer than taking, going around it because of all the traps. They don't ever show any traps, but it's, like I said, more like Hitchcock, subtle, suggested. Yeah. But to defect, detect the gravity effects, they basically have to throw around like a rocks and a metal nut or whatever they basically have to go around like it's a minefield hmm so like i mean what do they accomplish or or you know at the end is it like something changed for the the main protagonist or not really it's one of those bleak uh soviet movies Mm -hmm. where soviets being bleak no (laughs) (laughs) they're generally so fun it starts off bleak and it ends bleak because they get to the room and basically the guy that trained the stalker beforehand, he had gone into the room and it revealed his innermost desire. The stalker. <laughs> I've been waiting for you, little buddy. <laughs> well, a stalker, there's no word for it in Russian. So, to stalk was to, like, go into the zone. Yeah. Almost like a Viking. (laughs) It's not actually a Viking. Viking is what you do. But the guy that trained him Mm -hmm. had sacrificed his brother to get to the room. Okay. He got to the room, and his innermost desire was revealed to be he got rich. It didn't bring his brother back. So within a week, the guy hung himself because reasons. Reasons. Hmm. Which, I mean, the movie is something to experience. I mean, I'm not gonna. There's no action in it. It's more about suspense. It's more my a psychological, psychological thriller. thriller. Yeah, I got if you. If it's some, if you like something like Lighthouse, you might like it. Yeah. And if, if you yeah. like freaking good scenery, you'll like it. Hmm. Let's check that out. But and that's Stalker. Yeah, nineteen seventy nine Stalker. It and uh, the next one, uh, Come and See, are both available on YouTube. Okay. Come and see. Okay. Now what's what's Come and See about? Nineteen eighty five's Come and See, and again, I don't know the director. It's released by the same company. Is basically, it's a war movie, but it's not a war movie. It's an anti-war movie, which was not really common for the times, given the stature of the great patriotic wars they call World War II in Russia. It's uh, it's actually filmed in chronological order, unlike more movies where they film it out of order. It basically follows a, a young kid in Belarusia, and that wants to join the partisan resistance against the Nazis. And 
again, it includes a lot of the same uh, one shots that uh, Stalker did. But <clears throat> it follows these kid, this kid that wants to join the resistance. He's digging out. He's digging up a rifle or whatever. But he see a German plane flies overhead and sees him. Well, he, he doesn't think anything about it. He goes home to tell his mother that he's joining the resistance, partisan group, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. And she doesn't want him to go. Well, the partisan people, they come and take him off into the forest or whatever where he meets up with this uh, girl named Glasha. But basically, the (laughs) partisan, they don't want anything to do with him because he's untrained. He's the happy kid there in front of a group of all bunch of grim veterans. And the veterans go out to assault this damn base or whatever and they leave him and the girl behind and while they get left behind the germans bomb the fuck out of the place oh shit bad day and when they film this this is going to come a lot and a lot of my stuff which is they used actual fucking artillery rounds while filming yeah because the, <laughs> the director didn't think that uh, blanks and explosives or whatever pyrotechnics did justice to it. Just it just wasn't cinematic enough, so we're blowing you the fuck up. <laughs> so they've got... <laughs> he went with the Alec Baldwin fucking theory. <laughs> if you're going to make your movie, take your shot. <laughs> Too <Basically>. soon? <laughs> Basically, the kid and uh, the, the chick freaking escape from this place, and they've got fucking artillery going off around them, and the kid wants to go back to his uh, hide back in his mom's place, but there's nobody there. What, mom left or they blew the place up? Well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. They go in, they start make, eating some porridge, porridge or whatever some hot porridge and uh, the girl notices that there's flies on children's toy skittering around children's toys or whatever mm-hmm. the boy didn't think anything about this but he sees that nobody's there and he thinks they're going off they're, they're all all the villagers or whatever are hiding on this island mm-hmm. well they take off running to go towards this island and you only see a glimpse of it, but Glacia looks back and there's a whole bunch of, there's just a stack of fucking bodies. And basically it's like Schindler's List. You see a stack of fucking bodies are rushing. The Germans have done come into the damn place and executed everybody. Oh, hell. So a very uplifting tale. Yeah. yeah. It's very Disney. Very Disney. <laughs> <laughs> But you follow that, and uh, so they have that kind of the same like immersive feel to it that yeah. the other one did. Yeah, it's it is not your happy war movie. It's more like Platoon. Hmm. 
I wonder if that was like the, the style of movies back then for like Russia. I don't know what their style of movies are like in any era, but I wonder if it was just like a thing like the immersive. Well, it, it took you know, this guy seven years to make the movie. He tried to make it back in 1979. Damn. What he did, they kept on the Russian, the Soviet friggin' film and uh, board, whatever the fuck you want to censor board. Yeah. Never would allow him to make it until like 1984 because they were coming up on a 40 year anniversary of the great patriotic war ending in 1945 yeah they needed a big movie to celebrate it so he finally got the green light to make his movie yeah that's what they chose to celebrate with it's (laughs) russia it was the most uplifting story they had (laughs) the only thing one porridge involved the only thing in russia is friggin uh, vodka and revenge (laughs) i just wonder like the actors in the movie like okay look this is your big chance you get to be a star in the film, but... <laughs> well, that's the interesting part. The They had to recast because... They blew up the first... Re- <laughs> well, the kid they originally chose had done aged out of the part. Hmm. So... Lucky him. <laughs> they actually chose an unknown actor with no acting experience whatsoever. Hmm. He just looked the part, and he was actually able to convey emotion upon the audition... Well, I imagine when the bombs start going off around him, he you know, didn't take a lot of acting. Well, the director told him to, for the audition to imagine his mother dead on a on a bed. And, and when he starts smiling and dancing the jig, he's like, yeah, that's that kind of personality I'm looking for. Started crying, and the whole room felt the emotion from it. But you follow him through the bog. Because there's always a bog. Got to be. And they actually filmed this in a bog. Well, yeah. <laughs> they show him going through. The director got down in there, too, but the film crew was safely dry on the land. Yeah. So they're, you just see these two kids struggling through this damn swamp. No telling what the hell was in that damn water. Parasites, everything. Yeah. And Pollution of some type, probably. The girl knows what happened to his family. She hasn't had a chance to tell him yet. Mm. So they're all fucking struggling to get through this place. And he, when they finally get to the damn shore or whatever, to the next village, she tells him he just fucking breaks down. Hmm. And they get to the damn village, and the the guy that at the start of the movie had told his ass not to fucking dig the rifle up has been burnt alive, is barely alive there. And kid basically come to the realization that he, him, the patrol plane seeing him digging up that rifle basically caused the deaths of just about everybody in his village. Damn. So, so after this, him and the girl split up. He goes off to get food or something like that, and they get attacked in a field. And they, uh, these three, get split up. And again, we're going with the live ammunition because <laughs> they actually filmed actors. They shot tracer rounds from a machine gun. Sweet. <laughs> like feet above the damn actor's heads and they actually killed a cow. Yeah, but but they're not one single actor. They're going, Director, what's my motivation? <laughs> <laughs> not to fucking die. Yeah. 
an action comrade. <laughs> and you don't miss the fucking cue because you ain't reshooting this shit. <laughs> yep. Yep. But he gets found by a farmer, and farmer hides his ass from the the Germans or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he gets caught up again in another village where the Germans are rounding up people, putting them all into a... Kill. Well, they put them all into one building, and they set fire to the damn building. They start well. They they start off with they start throwing grenades in it. The kid and uh, another chick that suspiciously looks. I don't. We don't know if this is hallucination or whatever. It looks like the damn chick he was with. Basically escaped from it, but mm-hmm. the Russian. Keep on saying the Russians. The German. The Germans basically use his ass as a photo op and make them watch. Make him watch as uh, first they start throwing grenades into the damn building. Second, they use a fucking flamethrower to set it on fire, and they've got their damn machine guns set up at, outside to shoot anybody that escapes. Damn it, man. Well, they're nothing if efficient. Yeah, say that. You know, any job worth doing. Right. <laughs> but. And again, all with real artillery <laughs> on the day. <laughs> the girl gets taken off and gang raped. And again, you don't know if this is a damn uh, hallucination, hallucination or whatever because the kid's fucking shell-shocked at this point. Because, like I said, they, they started off filming this in chronological order, showing him as a happy kid mm-hmm. and going slowly slowly going downhill downhill showing the freaking PTSD that he gets from it they actually use permanent hair dye to dye his hair gray there at the end to show just how much the damn war had affected him I gotta wonder if the original actor that aged out saw the movie later and heard all these stories went well I dodged a bullet on that one Right. Literally. <laughs> well, the director thought it was going to send the kid to an asylum, so he had a fucking hypnotist on hand. Because <laughs> that always works. Yeah. To basically try to hypnotize the kid to keep him from going insane. That's that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just picturing all that. We're going to blow him up, and we're going to hypnotize him, then we're going to change his hair color. But one of the reasons I chose this movie because you do not see hardly any movies from Hollywood showing the extreme brutality of what happened on the Eastern Front. All you get is stupid shit like Stalingrad or, uh, well, not even Stalingrad. You get dumbass Hollywoodizations like uh, Enemy at the Gates. You get the pretty version of war. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or you get the Western Front, which we've seen nine fucking million times. <laughs> Such as... Such as Saving Private Ryan, uh, even movies like uh, Fury that actually showed the brutality of it. Mm. Again, Western Front and Battle of the Bulge, Patton, this, that, fucking boring. We've seen (laughs) this a hundred damn times. Do something different. That's basically why I try to watch foreign films to actually see something different. I can see that. Yeah. It's actually, um, I was telling him there's a production company called A24 and if I'm not mistaken, Lighthouse, I think it was one of theirs. 
There's a new movie out now called, I may get this out of order, but like uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once or something like that. It's a multiverse story, but it's not superhero related. Uh, they just do really weird, quirky stuff. And that's why I like about theirs for the same reason. It's like they do things different. They don't just like cookie cutter their films. Well, on this, like I said, not a lot of people have heard of it. Yeah. I had to find it on an obscure... I just looked up obscure war movies because I got tired of seeing the same stuff and because I was kind of on a war movie kick at the time because I had watched like 1917 mm-hmm. and I wanted to see stuff similar to that. Yeah. And the friggin' technical accuracy of Come and See. Yeah. They used actual fucking World War Two weapons. They used... Like I said, real artillery real rounds, artillery. real yeah. tra- real tracers. So it is exploding. Isn't that some Hollywood? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that movie the Seals came out with a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, can't remember what it's called now, but yeah. Cause they use like an actual SEAL team in that movie, right? Yeah. yeah. They used a SEAL team and it shows because mm-hmm. the acting sucks. <laughs> but but the methods are right. <laughs> yeah. Methods right, real ammunition same type of thing. Hell yeah. So what was um, what was the other movie, your third movie? The third movie, which was probably my favorite, was Red Dawn. And yeah, I'm sure people have heard of it. Some people look down on it because of who directed it and because of the political views of the director. Who directed it? Uh, I'll look it up. <laughs> I have no other job here. <laughs> I am drawing a blank on directors, but... That was another pretty heavy, John, heavy cast. Directed by John Milius. Yeah, John Milius. He also directed uh, the first Conan movie hmm. and wrote Dirty Harry. Right, yeah. Did uh, screenwriting work on Platoon. Apocalypse Now. Oh, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, um, wrote and directed The Wind and the Lion, Conan the Barbarian, and Red Dawn. Um Later served as co-creator on Primetime Emmy award-winning HBO series Rome. Yeah, that guy. Who's the cast in Red Dawn again? That's pretty heavy for the 80s. You got uh, Patrick Swayze, Charlie Sheen, C. Thomas Howell, Leah Thompson, Jennifer Grey, Ben Johnson. Yeah, Brad Pack. Harry Dean Stanton, Ron O'Neill, William Smith, and Powers Booth. That was a... Pretty heavy cast for that. Yeah, and a lot of those guys were still early on in their careers too. Yeah. And I think it was right after filming that that uh, Jennifer Grey and Charlie Sheen were Dirty Dancing. That was a uh, Patrick Swayze. You said Charlie Sheen. Yeah. I think they those two did uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. No. No, that was Matthew Broderick. And a different chick. Well, he. He shows up as like a heroin addict in the police station or whatever. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, I know that. <laughs> and Jennifer Gray's there. Oh, I know that. Okay. So, all right, what is it about this movie? Well, everybody knows the plot. Russians invade, a bunch of kids fight them. Basically, what's going on in Ukraine right now. <laughs> That's what I told Kevin earlier when I told you he was doing that movie. <laughs> well, again, it's down to technical accuracy. At the time... What they did with this movie, the plot is fucking stupid as far as the invading through fucking Bering Strait or whatever. That's fucking retarded. Why? 
can't do it. Why? And the Russians didn't have the Navy to do it, yeah. much less the actual air power to come up through uh, Central America. Okay. But let that be a lesson, kids. The director got, uh, I think, Reagan or Nixon's chief of staff to help write the movie. And they actually. They actually uh, built several, at the time, technically correct Russian tanks. Like, mm. they built, they're called Vizmods. They built uh, built them off of a uh, like M forty one Walker Bulldog light tank chassis or whatever, and they built them similar to Russian T seventy twos. They looked so accurate that the CIA was following following them around, wondering how the fuck they got this. <laughs> they also used uh, Egyptian AKMs that were built off Russian tooling. They didn't have access to some of the stuff, so they built them off of uh, Finnish Falmets. I have no idea what any of that shit as you just said. Is that the rifles or is that the... That was uh, the Falmets for the light machine guns, the oh, RPKs. Okay. They didn't have access to some stuff. They had access to other stuff, but they tried to make it as realistic as, as visually as possible. Visually right? realistic as they could. I gotcha. Yeah. Then going back to Kevin, it was rated PG-13 at the time. The previous two films were rated R, but with Red Dawn, A, you can say it's just a popcorn flick, but it's a very long two-and-a-half-hour popcorn flick. <laughs> it's a lot of popcorn. Basically, what I like about it is you see the same type of uh, character prog- progression that you saw in Come and See. The character Robert starts off as your typical friggin' high school kid and as the story goes he loses both parents basically just goes harder and colder he kills one of his group of friends that turned on him in the movie and by the end he's just a stone cold killer They're coming for me. They're coming for you. They heard, they heard you talking about the CIA. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember seeing that movie like a hundred times as a kid, but I haven't seen it as an adult. So I, I don't have any reference for it now, but I remember as a kid, like really enjoying that movie because I didn't have any idea about logic at all. I was just like, oh, cool. They're shooting people. Um, well, you saw at the time people just laughing off uh, untrained kids fighting off. Mm-hmm trained Russian or trained Soviet soldiers at the time and we see how trained the Russian conscripts are yeah but I mean all of them all of them but two die I mean Patrick Swayze Charlie Sheen Powers Booth Jennifer Grey the only two that survive are the one are the two younger ones and the are the one younger one one younger kid and uh what's her name chick from uh brunette i can't remember chick from brunette <laughs> you just brought up the cast I have to look at my history here um she was in howard the duck oh leah thompson yeah leah thompson those are the only two that survive that's a hell of a filmography. 
Red Dawn and Howard Duck. <laughs> hey, you know what? Howard the Duck is a piece of filmmaking, like genius. So I, I don't want I don't want to hear that kind of talk. All right, I almost got that with a straight face. I used to defend that movie like religiously because as a kid I loved it. And Danny would be like, "Fuck that movie!" And movie fucking fuck Howard the Duck. And then like, I bought it on DVD. And uh, I was like, all right, man, how's the duck? I'm going to watch this. I watched it. I got like like the first quarter of it. God, this is fucking terrible. Like, <laughs> why did somebody fucking tell me? <laughs> you ever wanted, you know, you look back on those movies that you watched as a kid. All the time. And, uh, you know, I know your house is probably the same way at my house. You know, you go rent movies, you go home, everybody piles up in the living room and watches the movies. You know. He says to the guy who lives alone. Well. <laughs> Not when you were a kid. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we would go rent the movies and come home and everybody watch them. I would rent these terrible movies. Mm-hmm. You know, Howard the Duck, the Barbarian Brothers. You know, these these just terrible movies. My dad was sitting right there. Could have said something. He could have said something at any time. Hey, you know this is a shit fucking movie, kid. You could probably do better than this. Yep. You know? Nope. He went and rented it twice. Yeah. yeah. Every time I twice. Every time I wanted to rent it, he'd just get in and throw it up there. And I'm like, you know, now I'm looking back going, man, that's some kind of child abuse I, or I went, something. I went through a, uh, a stretch hitting the, the, the bin at Walmart. And it was like I got I grabbed the last Starfighter, which actually still kind of held up so for mm-hmm. the CG. I grabbed uh, Gremlins. Couldn't make it. Could not make it through that movie. That was one of those movies as a kid. Couldn't watch it enough, right? Um, Short Circuit. Johnny Five. Yeah. Couldn't make it. <laughs> and these were movies I loved. Back to the Future. Loved that movie growing up. I cannot get through the movie now. Because it's just got... There's so much 80s cheese in it. It's, mm. it's hard to deal with it. But, yeah, it's like... The memory of what they were like and then what they were actually like is two completely different things. It's it's strange. It really is. It's like I'm afraid to go back and watching the old movies now because I'm like, I don't want to hate it. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, Howard the Duck was one. I thought that was just the funniest damn thing ever as a kid. God. Mine's like Red Dawn started off as being named as a... The original name was Ten Soldiers. Ten Soldiers, yeah. With uh, It was more of a... Lord of the Flies type feel. Mm-hmm. Milius rewrote it and softened it up a little bit. Well, he softened it up and basically directed it towards the Russians instead of them fighting each other. You still have that in there with the the mayor's son turning on them mm-hmm. and uh, our, our, the aforementioned uh, character that I like the progression of. Mm-hmm. Robert just shoots him, shoots the fuck out of him. When everybody else, even Patrick Swayze, couldn't bring himself to kill him after he just shot the damn Russian, Robert just goes up to him and uh, hip fires, Puts <laughs> cuts him down. his ass in half. Did uh, did you see the reboot, the remake, or ever? Uh, we we saw it. I mentioned that. Oh God, is that bad? Yes. And that was uh, what's his name? Plays Thor now. Um, Hamsworth. I, yeah, Chris Hainsworth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he played that. I remember that had like some kind of production issues. Like they had made it and then couldn't get it released for a while or something like that. Well, the dumbasses had had China as the enemy or whatever, mm-hmm. and then they rethought, huh? We can't sell this. Overseas. We can't sell this in China, so let's make them. Let's digitally uh, change them to North Koreans. 
which makes even less sense. Whatever works, I guess. Because at least the original had the Soviet Union as the enemy working with the uh, communist uh, Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. This one has North Korea and invading the U.S. when their people are starving. <coughs> didn't, uh, didn't they invade across the Canadian border? Like, aren't they in Michigan or something? In Red Dawn? The sequel, yeah. No, talking about the original movie. The original was set in Colorado. Colorado, okay. I just I remember the the war something, the something about snow, like I yeah, yeah. It's snow. I remember a lot of snow in the movie. That's all. Well, they they filmed it in Las Vegas, and uh, it was set in Colorado. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of snow in Colorado. So. I just remember something about the Wolverines, and I thought it was a reference to the. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of Charlie Sheen's lines. He's one, I think he's the one that yells at in the movie. No, that's uh, Robert's character. Uh, what's his name? Swayze? Not Swayze. That's uh, Robert's character. C. Is Thomas up. Howell? I'm just naming folks. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't nice. remember the damn... I'd have to look it up. You got your phone up there. You look it up. I can't read or write. I mean, it's got the names. It's not telling me who they are. Hang on. Keep talking as if you don't know them. Look at people up. <laughs> Robert, yeah, see Thomas Howell. I told you. you guys are going to quit doubting me. Pony boy. Yep. That, that's basically what this was. Uh, what do you call it? What was it, man? The Outsiders. The Outsiders versus Russia. <laughs> yeah, because most of them are in both movies. <laughs> Just missing Ralph Macho, but he was off doing Karate Kid. Ralph Macho and... Uh... It's Estevez? Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Was there? Uh, there's one. Wasn't Tom Cruise in it? No. Yeah, Tom Cruise was, was he? Yeah. Young Actually, Tom Cruise's son is in the shit remake. Really? Hmm. So I saw the uh, the trailer for the new Maverick movie, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I'll be skipping that. Yeah. I'll be seeing it. I'll probably watch it, but it's. There's not a lot of... It's the only... With me, it's the only as far as Jet movie goes because I actually liked those as a kid because I grew up with flight simulators. Yeah. I like that and Iron, Iron Eagle. Yeah. I liked Iron Eagle more because the first Top Gun was very, very gay. The whole time growing up, I did not pick up on any of that shit. And when Danny and I got to be friends, and we were like, you know, doing talking about movies like you know we do, and I was like, I think maybe I was watching it on YouTube when it first started firing up. Movies starting to get on there or something. I don't remember how it was. I said something about that. He goes, "Top Gun's gay as fuck, man." I'm like, "No, it's not. Dude's getting a chick. It's all this stuff." He's like, "No, there's a bunch of gay shit." I'm like, "No, there's not." And then, no, it was, you started sending me scenes from YouTube. <laughs> and you started sending them to me. I'm like, no, it's, it's not. There's no gay over... This. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a little... It's, uh, there's, there's a lot of gay overtones in this movie. I did not fucking see. <laughs> I mean, I never picked up... My gaydar was broke, dude. I didn't see it at all. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And that, that turned into like a running joke about Top Gun. It was like, there was a lot of yeah. subtext going on there. But as far as... 
friggin' fighter pilot movies go, mm-hmm. this is the only thing that's come to the U.S. since stealth and stealth sucked ass. Well, they don't they don't really make a lot of like pro military stuff like they did because we were kids. Like yeah. there was a new war movie coming well, out like every, every five minutes. Every Transformers movie was made with the cooperation of the U.S. military. Yeah, but I mean, it was more about the the Transformers than it was the pilots and the stuff. I mean. But, I mean, yeah, you're right. It was, it, but, like, you remember, like, in the 80s, dude, like I said, Top Gun, and then uh, Iron Eagle, and that movie you just said, uh, Red Dawn, and there was, like, something military, Rambo, for fuck's sake, and then Commando, and it was, like, something military all the time. Well, Rambo had that interesting, the sequels, Rambo, the first one, mm-hmm. was very anti-war. Right. The sequels were pretty much they just copied uh, Chuck Norris's Missing in Action. Oh yeah, those movies too. Yeah, I forgot about those. Those movies get overlooked a lot. They do. I'm not sure if yeah. I don't know if the three people that are listening to this right now, if you could hear the amount of flatulence that's been happening. <laughs> I'm sitting here watching these two do the one cheek squeak like back and forth like it's fucking backgammon. <laughs> it's like tubas being played very slowly back and forth. <laughs> you wait for it. <laughs> We're still pondering on moving this into a small enclosed area <laughs> to, to record. Soundproof. <laughs> but, um... I forgot what we were talking about. I've, I've, I've been action. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I've been gassed. Um, yeah, you're right. Those do get overlooked. Like, I think it's the second one that I saw the most of. It's where they're um, lost in Vietnam. So. I mean, well, they're lost in Vietnam. It's where they're actually captured and they're they have to escape from like a POW camp. Yeah. And um, which is basically the plot or the half half of the plot of Rambo Two. It's very, very similar now that you mention it. Yeah. The only thing I remember. The third one did not hold up. The ending. What, Rambo or? Yeah, the third Rambo. Because the ending has something, uh, says something to the effect of this movie was made to honor the brave Mujahideen fighters or whatever. (laughs) Did not hold up because we ended up fighting the same guys like uh, 20 years later. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but the only thing I remember from missing in action is the scene where they kill dude's pet chicken. I don't remember that either. As that's the only thing I remember. He's in this pit in the ground. He's been like walking around the whole movie petting this chicken. You know, and it's like his little buddy. It's his yeah. dude, and the guards or whatever get his chicken and break its neck and throw it down there with him, into the pit with him. And I was just like, "We had that one." You had Rambo 2, the Missing in Action movies, plus you had Uncommon Valor with Gene Hackman and uh, Patrick Swayze. I, I never saw it, but I do remember... I vaguely remember the name. Yeah. The well, it was based off of a plan. Actually, Ross, one of the guys in the movie that financed it was the one that did uh, Unsolved Mysteries back in the day. The- Walsh? Yeah. No, not Walsh. Uh, the old guy. No, Walsh was. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. What was it? America's Most Wanted. Yeah. You know what? The, the guy that uh, like was the 
host is the KFC caller of the show? Yeah. Unsolved so, Mysteries? Yeah. Yeah, I'm look. But basically, he finances it because his son has been captured or whatever. They've done return from this set in the 80s. And his son's been captured. Robert Stack? Yeah. Okay. But they get him. Gene Hackman's son's been captured. Basically, they just go to, like, I think it's Cambodia or something. One of the... One of the satellite countries that was involved in Vietnam to release the prisoners or whatever. And you just follow them there. Hmm. Good movie. Hmm. Yeah, uh turned out that Robert Stack that you're talking about played Elliot Ness in the original Untouchables TV show. Useless trivia for anybody who cares. But um Yeah, like I I you never hear anybody talk about those Missing in action movies at all. I had never seen them. Uh, I'm not, I can't even tell you they're great. I just remember they were there. It was like just part of a long run of... You know when you really... You look back and think about it and exclude the trash that was uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Mm-hmm. Chuck Norris didn't have that great of a career. All of his movies were subpar. Like but, they well, were, they all made money, though. They all made money, yeah. I don't want to say that. Yeah. But I'm saying as far as they were not, any of them were not the leading movie of their their time. Oh, they okay. were always second-tier movies at best. Mm-hmm. You know, even some of his better ones, you know, An Eye for an Eye was... Lone Wolf McQuaid. Yeah. That's that's probably one of his more, like, remembered movies. The yeah. only thing I remember about Chuck Norris, other than uh, the memes, is him getting killed in uh, one of the Bruce Lee movies. Oh, Enter the, the Dragon. Yeah, whatever that was. Yeah. Now, there's a movie called Lone Wolf McQuaid. Like, Dad loved that movie when I was a kid. And um, pretty badass scene in there. Like, the bad guys, I want to say maybe he's in Texas or Mexico or wherever the fuck it is, but they end up burying him in his, like, SUV um, in, like, this big-ass hole, put him in a pit. Dirt's got him all covered up and shit. And he's inside there, and he kicks on the interior lights. It's like the 70s, like late 70s. And he's got beer inside there and everything, and he just fucking guzzles this fucking beer, throws that bitch in the four-wheel drive, and drives the fuck out of the damn hole. <laughs> and they just killed, like, his dad, I think, or something. Like, it's like that moment where it's it's the comeback time. And it's like, this. it was just like the most fucking, like, 70s, dudest fucking thing you could do. <laughs> it's like, I'm fixing to kill this beer, throw this bitch in the you know, low, and we're getting the fuck out of this hole. And he just, and comes out. It was it was a good movie from what I remember, hmm. which ain't much. I just remember thinking it was a good movie. I was a kid. I know Dad like loved the fuck out of it. Yeah, there was a lot of those movies that you know it was the only real remembrance I have is you know, uh, Dad renting them and watching them or stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean it's just kind of it's kind of weird how Chuck Norris is hung around when he really. He, I think he just had like a consistent career on the level that he hit. Yeah, you know, he, he. It's not that he was known for flops. He really wasn't. No, he was always popular. Yeah. So is that is that our list of movies? Uh, seems to be our list of movies. Danny's already eating pizza, so I guess we're done. <laughs> yeah, we're hour nineteen. That's about right. All right. Uh, any ideas for our next? 
Um, not right off, but I'm sure by the time we come back, um, we'll have another idea. We're gonna try to release some at least like once a month. Yeah, a little more consistently now. Um, we had a little downtime and some system issues. We're gonna make it as issues. consistent as PMS. But we'll try not to make it as messy yeah. or as moody. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Odd Zone. Uh, go out, watch a movie, do something, get off of social media, be entertained. We'll catch you on the next one. Go do something. Bye.